Wow. Not bad for a First Baptist church, huh? Now, in all reality, wouldn't you parents rather see your children up here under the presence of God, worshiping, singing, even if the dancer hits their feet, wouldn't you rather see that than them out there drinking, running around, doping, doing all kinds of things? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me say before we read the scripture today, happy Father's Day to all you fathers. God bless each of you. And let's read about our other father today. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. No doubt you fathers would, if you love your children, you'd want to do them good and do good things for them and help them. If we being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does our heavenly father know how to do good things for us. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or predetermine their destiny to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God didn't want just one. He wanted a whole family. God wanted a whole world of sons and daughters. Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Verse 11. And whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, amen, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I'm glad that's my father. How many like to be remembered today as we pray? Just just bow our heads if you would. Lord Jesus, we count it such an honor that we could be gathered together here today, Lord. Hearing songs sang and seeing your children under the influence of the Spirit of God. We are so grateful, Lord, that there's people left in the earth who desire to gather themselves together in a place that is set aside to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you that you have elders, you have middle-aged people, but we also thank you you have young people that desire to worship you to live for you. They're not ashamed for the Spirit of God to fall on them and worship the Lord. We ask you today, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. We count it a great honor to be in the august courts of your presence. 
Meet every need of every hungry heart, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm sure that probably many of us here today didn't go the way that maybe our parents thought we would as a purpose. They thought maybe some of you men, your fathers thought that you would follow in their footsteps and whatever vocation they did that you would do that. You sisters, maybe some of your mothers thought the same thing about you. You would be this or that or the other. Maybe to some of them today you are a disappointment. Maybe to others you exceeded their expectation of what they ever thought you would do and ever would be able to accomplish. But I'm so glad today that our Heavenly Father knows what each of us would do before the world ever began. And He had a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. Now, your life may seem small and insignificant in your eyes, and you compare yourself to others, which the Bible tells us that we should not do. Paul says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. But we know that if we are the children of God, Father has a purpose for each of our lives. It's many, many times it's a multi-layer purpose or multifacet purpose. It's to be a child of God. If you're a man, maybe to be a husband, to be a father, to be a grandfather. If you're a woman, it's to be a wife, to be a mother, a grandmother, different things that God's called you to be. And there's always that, that balance of balancing the timeline to be able to meet each one of those things because we still have 24 hours in the day just like we've always had. But there seems to be such a demand for, I'm sure you'll agree with me, most of our time. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to be able to balance out everything of what our life demands for. And we know that Father God, let me just go this way to you as the Lord dropped it in my heart earlier before I came out that in the realm of the eternal, we could not be married to spirit because we are yet humans. So through the act of kenosis, spirit God became son of man. In order to produce a body that we would be able to marry. You see, even though in our souls, we're united to the eternal and holy wedlock, yet in our bodies, there's no way that we could ever be able to be united with the eternal because he does not have a body. For God is spirit. God is light. God is the invisible one. But in the, father, in the fatherhood, he gives to his daughter these wonderful things. Now we've been looking at Rebecca and Isaac sending the messenger and Abraham to be able to bring her back into his presence. And we've stopped at the, at the spot where Rebecca has responded to the call and her brother and mother and heads of the family have agreed that Rebecca would be able to go back and become the wife 
of Isaac. And we know according to the tradition, they would have given to her a dowry based upon their wealth, but also based upon her needs. She's going in this journey several months back across the desert to follow a man she'd never met before, marry a man she'd never seen before. And her family would have wanted her to be well provided for. In reality, Abraham would have taken care of everything she would have needed. But it was their custom, and it would have been their desire to have given her everything that she would need. So they gave to Rebecca her nurse. We know that this nurse became a very great figure in the Bible. And her name is one of the few women in the Bible that was not the wife of a prophet that was actually named. So she must have been a very outstanding woman. Yet she never married Isaac. She never married Abraham. She never married Jacob. But her placing in life was to be the nurse of Rebekah. Yet she is on first-term basis in the Old Testament. So we see how that God even gave recognition to women that were great women, but the majority of the world probably wouldn't think they were. They would look at them and think, well, it was not Sarah, it was not Rebecca, it was not Leah, it was not Rachel, it was not women like that. No, it was not. But yet this woman apparently had a great input in the molding of what Rebecca would be, insomuch that she was given a name among those women of the Bible. So whenever we look at the parallel of the natural family, how that they would have sent a daughter, whether they was been going three months journey, hundreds of miles away, or if they'd been simply going down the street, they would have wanted to give her everything that a parent could. Now, our father desired to give us uh, an inheritance, a dowry, and the Hebrew word, a shihulim, which was the deposit of the daughter's inheritance. Now, in this case, Rebecca would never have come back to seeing her mother, father, and brother again. There's no scriptural reference, no historical reference that Rebecca ever came back to this land of Mesopotamia. So once they gave her this, it would be the last thing they would ever be able to do for her. Now remember, in the form of fatherhood, God has chosen certain avenues by which he, through the attributes of father, would do certain things for us that he could not do in the form of sonship. Now remember not that there's two gods, but the same God manifesting himself in different attributes or different offices. As I am a husband, and yet I am a father, I am a brother to Harry and my other siblings, I am an uncle to Justin, I am a grandfather to my six granddaughters, and I'm all of these different attributes, and yet I'm one man. 
So there's things that I would do with and for my wife that I would not do for my daughters. There are things I would do for my daughters that I would not do for my granddaughters. Things I would do for my brother and vice versa. So it's the same in the Godhead. In the Godhead is the attributes of the Godhead, which is not three like this, and it's not one like Jesus only, and the Jesus only's left out the many aspect of the attributes in the Godhead, so they make Jesus his own father. But we know that Jesus could not be his own father because the human body of Jesus had a day it started and it could actually die and be raised from the dead. Is that right? But Father God never started, never ended, never had a day he could ever start, ever say he started, or a day he could die because the eternal could never die. So in the form of fatherhood, God always maintains this relationship even with the bride. Now one thing that we know the message of the hour does exceed in superiority by revelation to the elect of God is that it brings us to a deeper relationship with the Son of Man as Son of God, but also as our heavenly bridegroom where that for the majority of Christendom, they identify themselves as sons of God and God is their father, but they miss the intertwining relationship of God in his own body, which was God in Christ, and that the elect of God are married to the humanity of God. So in that sense, we are, not uni- we are not united or we are not married. We will not be even married in the eighth day in eternity uh, before that great light which will overshadow the logos or the word form in human body. But our husband will be the human body of God. So God still desires to manifest himself to us in the state of fatherhood. And that is that through the sonship, through the very epitome of the love of God, God broke the barrier of judgment that was between us and him. But it could only be done in the manifestation of humanity. God could not annihilate that in spirit form. But if God sent another person other than himself, he was unjust. So how does God resolve the dilemma? The eternal becomes a man. So the eternal indwells this body and does the work of redemption in this body and steps out of the body in the garden of Gethsemane and totally leaves him on the cross to die the death of a sinner but raises himself back up on the third day. Then he divides himself on the day of Pentecost and this is why the epistles would constantly use the terms father and son and the Trinitarian doctrine of course become birth right out of hell and they take scriptures that seemingly would allude to there being more than one but they miss the apostolic understanding that it was the same God expressing himself to his bride in this multi-aspect being. 
You see, there's things that we can say about our relationship with Father God that we cannot say with the body of God, which is the man, Christ Jesus. As my wife could say certain things about her relationship to me that my daughters could not say. Yet, I'm not two people, I'm the same person. So the Lord Jesus told us even when we pray and what we call the Lord's Prayer, which in reality is not the Lord's Prayer, but it's the Lord giving us as the disciples a model on how to pray. And the Lord Jesus said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice how that the Son introduces to us the way that we are to approach the Godhead. And that is, we are to pray through the marriage license or the marriage vow of the Son. And we come before the body, the eternal, through the atonement of what he done himself through the sonship. And we're able to be presented by the name of the Lord Jesus through the blood of the Lord Jesus into the court of the eternal God because justice was met in our husband. Praise God. So the eternal, his judgment was actually satisfied when he projected from his own being a body of flesh that could meet his requirement. We cannot do it, no righteous man, no. No one could ever do it, so God had to produce it himself. Then he baptized individuals into this body which was called the body of Christ. And in that, by birth, every one of them are children. So God don't have big children, little children, medium-sized children, but he has children. But then God would gift those children according to what? Not their desire, not mama's desire, not what their brother wanted them to be, but God then would intertwine the divine purpose of what his body would be and he would gift those children accordingly. Now, as it is the wisdom of God, as we see that Father actually in creating the stars and the luminary objects of the night, we see that God gave certain luminosity to the stars. So we look out in the night sky, and whenever we look out, this evening's supposed to be clear, and if you're standing where you can see it, before the moon ever comes up, you'll see one particular star. We know that it is the evening star, but we also know that this morning, if you would have saw her, she would have been there as well. So it's the same star. So the morning star is the evening star. Now why is it that it shines so bright? It's because the luminosity of this star is brighter. Other stars are there, but you just cannot see them because of the magnetic resonance that God gave each planet from the core, and that is the amount of iron and iron pyrite and all this that God placed in the core of the star. Then those stars in our particular solar system will be able to reflect, they're all coming from the reflection of the sun. So depending on the metallurgical makeup of that star, it's given what scientists call a luminosity level. 
So whenever the sun will hit them, they will reflect back that light and we here on earth and we'll look out there and say, my, look at that. Look at that one, that one, that one. Well, why does this one shine brighter than that one? It's not because it wanted to. It's not because that it desired to. It does because God gave more of a metallurgical makeup inside of that particular star where it would be able to reflect the light of the sun in a greater way than one that's you know a million light years away from it. Who did it? It was not the star itself. But when it was given birth to and it was being made up and according to the amount of iron pyrite and iron and copper and this and that and the other, the creator himself made it so that it would shine brighter than others. Is it better? No. Is it better in the eyes of God? It is not. So we see God created things in diversity. We look at the animal kingdom and we see see that for some animals like uh, cattle and, and sheep and pigs and chickens and for some animals, their basic existence in life is for sustenance for the human race. And yet there are other animals and they live on the earth and reality, they've got it made. Nobody hunts for them. Nobody wants to eat them. They really don't have any natural predators. I mean, look at the lion. Look at the tiger. Look at the cheetah. Look at many of those things. Nobody's really out to get them. Man don't really hunt for them. And they lay around. If you know anything about the lions, you know they will sleep anywhere from 18 to 20 hours a day. A real lazy one, 22. Sleep 22 hours a day. They don't work. Man ain't trying to roast them. They're not going to wind up being a, a patty on your breakfast thing in the morning, and yet they have it made in life. But look at the chicken. Look at a hog. Look at a cow. Well, look at a dog. How many eats dogs? Well, I don't mind telling you, I've been in China before, and I've seen dogs hanging up in their market, so some folks do eat them. That's right. But think of it that God, why did God make the horse so he's so majestic and make the cow to where it looks so different and a horse don't have to really do anything. He can just stand out in the field and raise that head up and them ears point up like that and that mane hang down his side and his tail and if you're looking at him, he'll take off and go to Prince and across there and you say, he's got it made in life. And it's the same way in what we call the body of Christ. So there are some believers and it seems like they struggle from the very first day they become a child of God. And their struggles will go on and on and on through life. And there's others that'll wind up making it at the end of the way. They don't go through near as much difficulty. And there's others that they're given such great gifts. My, they're able, if they're ministers to take the word and they're able to put that word together and they just hold you spellbound. And there's others, I call them shotgun preachers, and when they get in the pulpit, I mean, they pew, pew, pew. They hit this one in the eye and hit that one in the ear and hit that one in the mouth and you got three shots and that and got four and that and got two and they just scatter gun preachers. So they just, you know, they, they, they take a thought and they take a subject but they jump here and they jump there and they jump there and they jump there and when they're done, you really don't even remember all that they preached but all you know is you were so blessed to be in service. And it may not be one of them sermons that you'll go back to over and over and over again, but God called them to be a Remington type of preacher. And some of them are pump and some of them are fully automatic. So each one of them. And then some are called to be more like a sniper's rifle. 
that they will actually hone in right on your life. And God will anoint that man to say things that you and your wife said before church or that you said to God before church when only you and God knew what you said. And you say, how in the world did he know that? Well, it's a gift of God that God pulls in his presence and anoints that man to say things that's beyond himself. He don't even understand why he's saying it. Does it make that man greater than the shotgun preacher? It does not. It means that both of them are reflecting what God gave them to be. How much easier it would make all of us in the body if every one of us would find our place and we would be happy in what God made us. Instead of comparing ourselves and well, I'm not like this one and I'm not like that one. Notice in Romans 12, five, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. Now, you see, when we look at Rebecca, there's things we could say about her that we couldn't say about Sarah and things that we could say about Leah that we could not say about Rachel and so on. And it's the same in the body. God does not save an individual and mean for them to live exclusively alone by themselves, have no fellowship. They don't need one another. They don't need prayer. They don't need fellowship. That's not the description of a body. But God saved every one of us, gave us his spirit and then makes us a part of that mystical body. Is that right? Notice in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for the body is not one member, but many. You see, whenever people begin to get in their mind that they don't need to be a part of the body, they don't need to go to church, they don't need to sit under a ministry. Now what's happening is, it's like a spiritual autoimmune disease and that disease will begin to turn on the body. And depending on which one it is, it can attack the liver, it can attack different parts of the body, and it will begin to attack it in such aggression that it sets the body against itself. We have many Christians like that, and they have a spiritual autoimmune disease. And they begin to attack their own walk with God and their own need of a body. Then they begin to say, well, I don't need, I don't need to go to church. I don't need a body. I'm above the preacher. Who can tell me anything? Well, you're sick. I said, you're sick. Right, now, notice Paul goes on to say, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it not therefore of the body? Now, if the hand, now we know a hand can't talk, but he's using this metaphorically. If the hand would say, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand. Now, the hand being the instrument of communication, of action, it may signify one in the body that is very notable. It may signify one in the body that liberally imparts necessities to others. And it will help this one and help that one. We use our hands a lot naturally and so is it in the body that God has placed people in the body and they will be the hands and they will minister to the body and they will have more personal contact with the body. The brain does not really have the personal contact but the brain is the motor skills and it's what tells the hands what to do and the feet and so on. But yet the hands are very, very noticeable. They are more notice 
noticeable. Most of you have never seen my feet. Only the brothers that's been able to wash my feet and they wash theirs. And a few of my family members, so you wouldn't know my foot from anybody else's foot. You could put a hundred brothers' feet up here and look at mine, you'd never know the difference. And But yet, how are we identified by those parts of us which are uncovered? And those are the parts that are less seemingly that we do not cover them up, but it is in that part that God likens the body. Notice so the instrument that would impart communication and good deeds and doing things for others, many times that can be the one that becomes so noticed. Yet all the other parts of the body are just as important. Notice he says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Or in other words, I don't have any part of the body. So if I don't have any part of the body, I don't need the body, and the body does not need me. Now, I'll believe that if you'll show me the verse that he said it. But of course you can't. Now, Paul says, if it would happen to say that, that I'm not part of the body, just because they say it, does it mean that it's the truth? It does not. No, you see, every member that God ordained to be here at Happy Valley, whether you come or not, you are held accountable before God for the responsibility he gives you. It's entirely up to you what you do. If you sit at home or if you try to cause trouble instead of being a member that would minister substance and sustenance to the rest of the body, God calls you to be a part of a ministry. He calls you to be a part of a body. Then God gives you the personal responsibility to assume that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's harder coming here than anywhere. Well, maybe this is where you really shine in the most difficult spot that you could be. Now watch this, in the adoption, the prophet said to each one of you in here that has not been positionally placed, you might not be nothing but a housewife. Well, you say, Brother Brandon, I never done a thing in my life. I'm not a preacher. Well, maybe God brought you here to raise a family of children. Out of that family of children may come another family of children that'll be a preacher that'll send a million souls to Christ. You had to be here then you will be identified with that preacher that sent a million souls to Christ. You were part of the events in that man's life. Is that right? Now, I know it's hard on us because we tend, as I said, to compare it all the time. But notice he goes on to say, you're here for a purpose. Did you know that? Well, you say, all I've ever done is harder across these old clods. And I take out early of the evening, don't you know, and make my kids a living. I looked at the poor little fellows with no shoes on. I've sat and cried. I got an old buggy and me and Ma went to church. Don't you worry, brother. You just keep loving him. He's got a purpose for you. Now you take, Brother Random is describing what would have been in this time frame, of course, a common farmer that would have hired the clods. Probably some of our young people don't know what the word hard even means, uh, but it was a, an implement or a piece of equipment different from a disc or a plow, and it would have long spikes down in the ground. And you would take and pull it in those days, most of the time behind a pair of mules or horses, and you would rake it across there and harrow the clods. So you're not harrowing the good fertile soil. So this man had a rough life, and this man had a farm that had a lot of clods. So what are we talking about? A very difficult life. 
And the man could not look at a lot that had been accomplished. He looked at his children and they didn't even have shoes, didn't have an automobile, but had a buggy. Him and Maul went to church and took the kids. So he did not have a lot in the natural life. He could not see a lot that he had accomplished in the spiritual life. I'm so glad Brother Branham used folks like this as an example. But what did he do? He said, brother, there's a place for you. So I wonder how many of us would look at an individual like that and say, well, they don't drive the type of car that we do. Uh, They're not able to eat at the same restaurant that we eat at after church. So they must not be worth much. I'd be very careful if I was you. God has people that covers a great economical spectrum. God has people that will will never, never own a fine place to live. They'll never have more than one vehicle. Believe me, friends, I've been in third world countries around the world. I sat in Brother Kamadi's church several years ago in Nairobi, Kenya. Several thousand people there. We had a tent meeting there. About 4,000 people in the tent. And there was maybe a dozen, maybe 20 cars that was there. All the rest of them were riding bicycle to church and public transport. I've stood there in Brother Komwadi's church, which you helped them build, and 1,500, 2,000 people there, and again, maybe another 10 or 15 cars, but some of the most wonderful people you'd ever want to meet in this life. So to measure them by the American standard, they would have nothing. But I'm glad God don't use the American standard. God uses the standard of his word. Oh, praise God. You just keep loving him. He's got a purpose for you. You stay the way you are. Just go right on. You might never preach a sermon, but you might be the great grandfather of one that will do it. Again, in God's gifts, find their places. We wasn't put here just by chance. We were put here for a purpose, and we must serve that purpose. Now, again, as I said, Sarah could not take Rebecca's place. Rebecca could not take Sarah's place. Leah could not take Rachel's place. And Rachel could not take Leah's place. Even them, both of them had an appropriate position, an appropriate love, and they were all of them found in the great providence of God. May I go on to say, so are we today. Notice this in the future home, you were made for an eternal purpose because you was the manifestation of an attribute that was in God that thought of you and expressed you. He made an earth to take you out of. You wanna know one of the reasons this earth existed? I needed a mother to give me the elements of my body. Praise God. Hallelujah. I help give the earth a reason and purpose of being. Praise the Lord. He made an earth to take you out of. Isn't that wonderful? He made an earth to take you out of and to make you a human being. So what were you before you were a human being? You were an attribute. But God needs supernatural element, which he did not have there in heaven, and it's going to be quick. And what is it? Dust of the earth. So is it any coincidence then that we call earth our mother, and we call earth a female? Because God sowed his seed attributes in the womb of the earth. 
God sowed his seed son Adam, oh glory, in the garden of Eden. And God sowed us in the womb of the earth and taken our bodies from the earth and in the resurrection, he'll do the same thing again. Oh my. Sin come along and perverted his way. You come anyhow, but you were lost with the world. Brother, sister, this is the simplified form of redemption. You come anyhow, but you was lost with the world. So he come and redeemed you. The express attribute and also redeems the earth by the same way. Then his purpose rolls right on. Oh, hallelujah, that does me so much good. I say, Brother Branham, it does me good too. Think of just what lays ahead. Notice in paragraph 251, and then when it's all over, it pulls right back and God's purpose is fulfilled. There is the eternal king again with his eternal subjects expressed in human flesh exactly the way he had it. Now this is the original of what he wanted it to be. Sin is took away, the devil is gone, it's all done now. Praise be to God. Notice again, he has a purpose in your life. Each individual that no one else on the face of the, face of the earth can take your place. God has something for you. You're made like that. You was did that way for a purpose. And what is it about us that we want to be like others? Or we want to be more than what God made us? Or we want to be less than what God made us? Now, most of those that are called to be something, uh, how can I say it, that are called to be, say, a little bit above their brothers in the economy of God, they in reality wish they were less. They wish they were not of, of a notoriety, of a position that people looked at them, they wish they were less, which is just as wrong as a brother who wishes he was more. You see, so no matter where you are, no matter where you are, it's something about that human being of ours that we're not satisfied with what God made us. Unless God drops the purpose in your soul by revelation, and then you can just accept it and go on. May God help us today. Notice this, doors and doors. You're an individual in God, and God made you the way you are for some purpose. If we should just, if we could just find our place, then abide there. If we try to do something different, then we're in somebody else's territory, which we just gom up. I'll never forget years and years ago, Brother Kenneth Johnson, I used to come here and started preaching, and I started using that term gom. I'm sorry y'all never went to Harvard the way me and Brother Brenham did. I started using that term gom, gom, gom. And Brother Kenneth Yons comes to me one day, said, Brother Donnie, what is that word gom? I know gum, and he told me some other words, but what does gom mean? I said, Betty, ain't you ever listened to no tapes? That's genuine message right there. That's terminology. Of course, I was the only team in him, teasing him rather. We just gom or mess up the picture of God. So then it would be like, as Paul runs a parallel here in verse 18, if the ear shall say, because I am not 
the eye. I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Should no believer should ever think of himself or herself as being inferior because they may not have, as we'd say, as great a position as somewhere else. And gifts are not handed out haphazardly, but God, by divine purpose, gives them out. And he arranges them according to his own divine will. And diversity by no means actually suggests inferiority. Diversity does not mean that, well, this person here, you know, they're, they're less of a person because they cannot do this or this or this or that person. That does not mean that at all. God simply chose us for what he wanted us to be. Notice Paul goes on to say in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? Now, this, this church here in Corinth, it was a, a mainly Gentile church, but there were some Jews there. And Corinth was a terrible, terrible, wicked city. A port city, my, had temples of Diana and some of the things that went on there. It wouldn't even be lawful for me to say. Terrible, terrible. But yet God said he had much people in that city. But the Corinthian people, they were a very gifted church. Now, I don't know why God does it this way, but sometimes he does, that he will drop supernatural gifts on some people that are very, very immature and takes them years and years to ever kind of get it all together. And the Corinthian church was a very clannish, clicky church. Ooh. So you see, division was a major problem all through the letter in 1 Corinthians. Now, by the time we read the letter in 2 Corinthians, some years on down the road, they had finally matured. Remember, God said, I have much people in this city. So it's up to God to bring them to maturity, how they're gonna mature under the ministry of the word. So it was a very common thing among them. And one of the major problems was a problem of division at the Corinthian church. So each group had followed its own chosen human leader. Now what makes this very difficult is that they chose men of God. They chose men of God that were really used of God, called of God. You remember this in 1 Corinthians 1.12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Now here are genuine predestinated people that love God. Many of them have a new birth. Many of them are very, very gifted. Remember this church spoke in tongues, cast out devils, prophesied, had all kinds of great visible signs among them, but they were a very clannish, immature group of people. So they divided among themselves and they chose godly men, great men of God, but they would not hear, say, the group that said, well, I'm of Paul. Oh, he's a church age messenger, I'm of Paul. I follow Paul. I wouldn't go hear that Apollos preach for nothing. Well, that Apollos ain't nothing but a learned man. He's an educated man. Now he was. Apollos was a very learned, educated man. But remember, he got the Holy Ghost. So God could take this man. Now, the people you imagine that thought Paul was real rough, and Paul was certainly not, would be everybody's type of preacher, I guess they'd think. So they chose Apollos over Paul. 
And listen, I'll tell you one thing, I like his mannerism. And I like this and that and the other about him. So they go on and they make themselves a, a, a following or a little cult, as it were, in this one church. Lord, can you imagine when they all come to the house of God? Some of them had Paul's quotes. Some of them had Apollos' quotes. And then some of them had Cephas, which of course you know is Simon Peter. So some of them, they would not be identified with Apollos or with Paul, but they was identified with Peter. Now, the most deceiving group of all of these that Paul mentioned was the last group. And the last group said, I'm of Christ. Now, what they were saying was, I don't need a preacher. I don't need any ministry whatsoever. You all are debating about this man being a great preacher. You all think this man's a great preacher. You think this one's a great preacher. Well, I'll show you how deep I am. I don't even need to go to church. Now, friend, don't think that the stay-at-home thing just follows this message. Paul and them was dealing with it 2,000 years ago. Now here they were, but these would appear to be more religious because that one group was saying, well, I follow Paul. And the other group said, you knucklehead, what in the world is the matter with you? Why, why Paul's rough as he can be and he's hard on us women. No doubt a lot of the women really loved Apollos because they don't have any record that Apollos actually preached hard on the women. I mean, know oh, that Peter, you know, Peter was a Jew, so some of the Jews there in Corinth would have definitely leaned toward Peter. Hallelujah, he's my man. Now, right there, I'm a Jew, I'll be a Identify with the two. But yet the other group was the most deceitful group because they chose the name of Christos. So they said, I'm not of Paul, I'm not of Donnie Reagan, I'm not of Tim Pruitt or this man or that man. Y'all prove how carnal you are because y'all got ready to come to church and you're gonna sit and hear a preacher preach. So I'm not of any of those men, I am of Christ. So I stay home on Sunday, or I go fishing, or I go to Walmart, or I go to the lake and I ski and I do this and that and the other because I don't need a preacher. Most goats don't. <laughs> you see, they were of Christ, so they were wiser than the ministers. Who could tell them anything? Now find which group you're identified with today. Oh, you see, some of you thought that when they said that, they was claiming that they were Christians and separating themselves from all that. Oh, no. They were pulling themselves totally away from the function of the body and saying, I get everything I need directly from him. Why would I want to hear some preacher? Because God placed them in the body. But these people were above, they were above administrations given through and by the body. So what then if the hand would say to the mouth or to the ear, I don't need you, I don't need you, and begin to attack the body. You see, it's that spiritual autoimmune disease that I was telling you about, and they begin to attack the body. So what is wrong with people then who say they believe the message of the hour, and they begin to attack the very gifts that God placed in the body to minister to the body the maturity that the body needs? 
So the spiritual autoimmune disease that's in the body turns right on the body itself and they will attack the body. Isn't it amazing that Brother Branham had to spend so much time when he was here trying to prove that God still had prophets. You listen to me tapes, you know that's true. And he would go to a city, how many believes the sign of Malachi 4, and they'd sit there and look at him. Oh, I see. Well, we've got people here that's never seen that before. Well, then he'd take 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in order to go down through that and explain it to him. But now it's turned around to where that the fivefold ministry that's left on the earth, we don't have to really prove to the message people that there's prophets. We have to prove to them there's still pastors and evangelists and teachers. So you see, spirits don't die. They just get on different people. Oh my goodness. Now, like this, it would be those people, Brother John, that would have said, well, I particularly don't need the rest of the body. I'm a hand and I can reach out there and I can write and I can type and I can do this and that and the other. What in the world do I need a brain for? Well, cut yourself off from the brain and you'll realize why. You realize your hand has no intelligence of its own. God made the body so that it all operates under the headship of what's up here. Now this is one of the most vulnerable parts of my body and your body. Why do you think God puts your brain in a skull? Why do you figure God didn't put your brain on the end of your finger? Some of you done had it cut off. Why do you think God buried your innermost parts of your body inside of a rib cage? Why would God protect it? Why? Because they are the most vulnerable parts, but yet they are so absolutely necessary and essential. And the church said, you see, the church at Corinth have received an abundance of spiritual gifts, but they were lacking in spiritual graces. They had a lot of great gifts, and no doubt there were many of them that was really genuine. And how the Spirit of God longed to bring them into that form of maturity, but Satan had manifested himself in dividing them. Well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter. Well, I'm I'm greater than all of y'all. I don't even go to church anymore because I'm so revelated in God and I'm so deep in God. Oh, my. First Corinthians 12, 18, but now has God said, notice, God hath said, God, God said, not me, not you, not the board, not the trustees, but God said, the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. But remember the Lord Jesus being the head of this Messianic empire as we've been looking at on Wednesday night. He introduced a kingdom that was going to be unlike anything the world had ever known. The king himself was on the earth and he gave birth to this messianic empire. So he began to drop little things while he was here on the earth in his body of flesh before the kingdom actually usurped in. And the disciples knew by hearing it, this is really going to be different. What's this in Mark chapter nine, verse 35. And he sat down and called the 12 and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Now you imagine hearing this and them disciples thinking in their mind, what kind of a kingdom is this going to be? 
Because as today, when we wish to excel and we want to be on top and we want to be the greatest in our category and so on and so on. And many folks bring it right into the church. Watch Mark 10, 42. But Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. Oh my. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Now how could he say this? Because he was living this out already. If I then be your Lord and master have washed your feet, should you not also to wash one another's feet? But he did it before he ever did foot washing. So what? The king of this empire is projecting the nature of the king himself. So the kingdom is going to be established in the nature of the king. Now they've got to totally reshape what they think this kingdom is going to be like because they're looking for a son of David. That's the millennium coming. They were not understanding the Son of God coming, the personification of eternal God in the form of a man to come in the form of humility and do away with our sinful nature. They're looking for a great king that'll conquer. Oh, he did all right, but he conquered sin. Notice this, verse 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for a ransom for many. Oh, now watch, he's setting forth principles of the body, how the mystical body will be. Let's move now to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter six, verse one. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, oh my goodness, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now remember he's addressing and goes on to in these other gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they love to keep the law of Moses. So the rich would come in and they would have a little flunky that would forerun their coming into the city. And they would have this little guy to blow a trumpet. And when they blew this trumpet a certain way, all the poor knew the rich was in town. So they would blow this trumpet and the poor people would come and the rich man would stand up there and hand out his alms. So here's your penny, here's your penny, here's your penny. Now watch the Lord Jesus, he's fixing to blow them plumb out of the water. You see, the way he addresses this, take heed that you do not your alms before men, and this is the reason, to be seen of them. Now the Greek word there that he used to speak this in was as in a theater. The word seen means as in a theater. To be admired or to gain favor by appearance. So Jesus is saying, now my kingdom is not gonna be this way. 
So don't get in your mind that you are to be this and that and the other and you're to get great, great praise from one another. No, that's not the way it's gonna be. Notice in verse two, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Lord have mercy, can you imagine some old rich guy and he come to, he come to church that day and just that morning he went out there before the folks and he'd have this trumpet just blasting out. He'd give money to this one, that and the other and the Lord Jesus stands right there and reads his name and address. And he said, now don't you be like these hypocrites that go out there and give out their money. You imagine that old guy? I imagine if he had a seat of God in his heart, he repented right there and made peace with God. But if he didn't, he got mad as a hornet and his blood pressure got real high and he wanted to kill Jesus. Oh my. Notice he said, do not sound a trumpet before thee at doing the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You see, friends, I don't think that we recognize when we do things even for the body, but we do it with selfish motives that others can see and know and be aware of what we are doing. You just got your reward. And at the day of rewards being handed out, that deed will never be mentioned. The Lord God will never even mention that day. You could give a hundred million dollars at one time for the cause of the poor and you can make it known that everybody know you done it. The Lord God will never even mention that when you stand before him. Why? You received your reward in time. I figured y'all get quiet on me. Notice this that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doest, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, but here's the key to your father rewarding you, that thy father which seest in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now we're talking about kingdom. As I said, that's unlike anything that's ever been on the earth. Because what is it about people that when they do things, many of them want others to know what they do. You know, they pray three times a day. They fast so many times in the week. And they do this and this and this and this. And sometimes you don't have to tell everybody. All you gotta do is tell one person and they tell everybody else. That's right. What's this in verse five? My, my, the amens are getting like hen's teeth around here, ain't it? <clears throat> Jesus goes on to say now about praying. How many believe prayer is an important thing? Amen. When thou prayest, now not if you do, but when you do, people of God are gonna pray. Amen. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. Look at this word. An actor, stage player, or pretender. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the actors are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets 
that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Wow. Now, is the Lord Jesus against public prayer? No. But in reality, people shouldn't pray in public who don't pray in private. I always marvel at folks that are asked to get up and pray, and man, they roll out their theology. Woo! The these and the thous and the wherefores, and they go into the King James Version 1611, and you know they don't talk to God like that at home. You know what? I don't thee and thou and this and that and the other and try to do that to God. I don't talk to him that way when it's just me and him down in the basement. So when I'm asked to pray, I'm gonna talk to him exactly the same way. I don't figure y'all want no actor praying for you, do you? Do you want some actor that'll stand up here and try to put on something that they're not? What's the Lord Jesus doing? He's shaking the tradition of these disciples right down to eradicate what they've been taught all their life, that the Messiah is gonna come and build a great big something or another, and it'll be this and that and the other that'll go along with you. Even James and John got caught into that, and their poor little mother come to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, I've got a request for you. He said, what is it? I want one of my boys to sit on your left hand and I want the other one of my boys to sit on your right hand. And the Lord Jesus said, are you able to drink of the cup I drink of? Yes, Lord. Are you able to be baptized of the baptism? Yes, Lord. Well, you will indeed do that, but I can't give you what you've asked for. It's not mine to give. Now, here they were elected apostles and they still had this thing. And the Bible tells us in the book of Mark that the Lord Jesus, when they'd come together, the Lord Jesus said, what was it that you were debating about or arguing about in our terms as you came along the way? And neither the disciples answered him a word because as they were coming along the way, they began to argue which one would be the greatest among them. And the Lord Jesus gave them a parable, but a very great answer. And the Lord Jesus called a little child and except you become converted and as humble as this little child, you'll in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. But you see, many come into the message of the hour and this is why preachers, this is why they're constantly trying to outdo the other. This is why singers and musicians are constantly trying to outdo the other. It's see how many is on their website and how many preachers do this and that, what difference does it make? The more people that click on our website means I'm more responsible to God. If it was left up to me, I'd have Scotty, my son-in-law, to take our website down today and I'd never start another one. I'd never make another CD. I'd never have nothing else. It ain't there for my sake, friends. It ain't there because I wanted to be there. A real servant of God is not in competition. Why should I try to compete with Brother Tim? I'll never be a Brother Tim. I'll never be a Brother Ron. I'll never be other brothers, but neither can they be me. So I want to be what God's made me and be happy and be satisfied and not be showy in doing it. So you imagine the Lord Jesus on his way here to preach this sermon on the mount in the synagogue. I've been there on the mountain where the sermon was, like a little amphitheater there. But right over on the right hand side is Bethany and Bethpagi and all these other places so that it come through. Little small synagogues there on the side. You'd have walked by. There have been the Pharisees in the wrong robes and, you know, their knots tied at the bottom and the riband of blue and all of this. (laughs) 
What for? Actors. But Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet. Well, who's going to hear me there? The one you're praying to. Well, my neighbor won't hear me. The so-and-so. Exactly. Prayer is not between you and your neighbor. It's between you and God. Well, who will know that I can pray this way? God. But you see, these guys love to stand there and pray. And they stood. They didn't kneel. Notice their, their position of their body. They stood praying. So they loved to stand. Now, Jesus broke with this tradition because Jesus knelt. I don't know if you've ever looked at it in the Bible or not, but standing was always the position of the body when it come to the Jews to pray. Standing. But the Lord Jesus broke with that tradition and knelt. So did Peter. So did the apostles. They knelt. This is where we get kneeling in prayer. A sign of what? Humility. Standing on your feet before the king in their perception of after the new birth came. Oh, my, that's all. How could we ever stand before him? But not these guys. <clears throat> that's just trying it out, you see. I don't know. Would you please quit that? You're making me nervous. And you imagine a little old saint of God come up like the little woman or a little blind man and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Remember the Pharisee and the publican? And the Pharisee, I pray three times a week. I fast. I do this and that and the other. And all them times of the week, three times a day, morning, noon, and afternoon, all of them would have been right in front of everybody. Well, they could have stood there and had such admiration. Wow. I wish I could pray like that. Listen at those words. I don't know what they mean, but listen at them. That is something. It is garbage. That's right. Garbage. You see, these don't love to pray. They love to pray before men. There is a world of difference. You see, breaking into real prayer, sometimes you get beside yourself. You may cry. You may speak in another language. You may not. But you'll get so far away from yourself, you realize you're not there just to impress folks, but you're there to talk to God. You see, they supposed that their righteousness was shown on the outside. So they was going to give something to the poor. They'd wait till a crowd was gathered around them. And then they'd make this great big deal out of it. Here you go. Go buy your Big Mac, buddy. Aren't I something? Excuse me while I pray. I don't know. I don't know. And they blasphemed Adonai when he was made flesh because they did not know him. That's right. 
You see, Jesus goes on to say about them, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And again, this word here means paid in full with the receipt. Nothing else to follow. A person could pray seven hours a day, eight, ten, whatever it would be, but do it constantly in front of people or where people will hear them or tell everybody and their brother about it when they get done. You received full payment with the receipt. Because the brother or sister that you told about it said, wow, that's your receipt. So when you stand before God and you're thinking, my, I'll be a great prayer warrior. There'll be no record of it whatsoever. Because you were paid in full in life. Children, what kind of kingdom is it that we're a part of? What kind of a body is this? that we need one another so much that if we try to sever ourselves from the body, we suffer. And so does the body that we cut ourselves from. Oh, verse six, let me close. But thou, when thou prayest, enter in to thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door and turned on thy microphone and turned thy speakers toward. Remember when the angel of the Lord come to Brother Branham and he shows him the third pool? And he shows him a little broom. And he said, he went in the little room and a woman come out and said, I've been crippled for so many years. And then what happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. He said, why do I go in there? He said, did not our Lord say, when you pray, enter into the closet. So the third pool, he said, will not be a show. Why? Because first and second pool wound up to a show to some. And the brother Bram didn't call their name and tell them where they lived. They didn't have faith to believe. Watch in the prayer lines. As long as he's doing the discernment, miracle after miracle after miracle. Whenever he'd stop the discernment, faith would drop to the heart. So wait a minute, wait a minute, he's still here. Look, your name is Dow Lorna. If you're so-and-so, and then watch the face of the people. Whoa, hallelujah, hallelujah, here we go. What was it? Entertainment. God never called us to entertain us, friends. He calls us to believe his word. So you imagine the third pole operated in a closet and that light dropped down in that room. I will meet you in there. And you will tell no one. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door. Pray to thy father which is in secret. You see... Your father is not so much out on the public square and here and there and there trying to meet you out of your arrogance and pride. Your father is in secret. Waiting for you there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy. I know some of y'all probably think I am anyway. I'd rather meet him in secret than meet you out here. I'd rather meet him in secret I can get strength and courage instead of you thinking, oh, if you ever heard such prayers in your life, 
If you ever, what good would that do me? I might be dying. I might need a touch from God. It's God I need, Brother Dale, not for you to be impressed by my prayers. Let's stand. Whoever's mad at me can buy my lunch. (laughs) Next week after you cool off. (laughs) Listen to this, friends, how astounding. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and thou wilt shut thy door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. What was that word there that Jesus used? A chamber or a secret place fit for retirement, meditation, and prayer. Praise God. Meditation, prayer, confinement with God. Our gifts, what do we do? How will they be displayed? It depends on where we have that fellowship. If we just want to put on a show, then I'd say we stay out of the closet. But if we want to be a blessing when we sing, a blessing when we preach, a blessing when we do whatever we're doing for the kingdom of God, more time is spent in the closet will reflect a better job done by the song or the pulpit. Of course, unless we want to please people. And then we'll do it out in front of everybody. I don't need to pray. I don't need the anointing. You know, there are preachers in the message who say that. They preach so long, they don't need the anointing. Well, I preach a long time too, but I need it now more than ever before. Because now I'm in more danger because I preach long enough now or a lot of things I know by memory, by experience. Or I can say, God, I lay my memory, I lay my experience, I lay my decades of preaching aside. Use me as if this is my first time to ever step in the pulpit. And you can do likewise. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Lord God. Hallelujah. How many just wants to be a humble servant of God? Man, woman, boy, girl, whatever you are. Whatever God's called you to be. Singer, preacher, musician, whatever it is. If the Lord puts you before hundreds or before five, what difference does that make? You just want to be in the body. You want to find your spot. Let the body minister to you and you minister to the body. Look at me before we pray. There's been many people that's moved here to our assembly from different places. And every time a a family, a man, woman, their family, kids, whatever, if they come to me and talk to me before they're going to move, and they're streamers, they say, we want to be in the Word. We want to be around the Word. We want to be here. My advice is always the same. Pray, if you're led of God, we welcome you. But come and visit the church and see if you fit in the body because you're used to streaming. And the services are more than me preaching. It's you functioning, living, working in a body. Visit, talk to the people. Don't just come and talk to me, but stand outside in the foyer. Talk to the people. See if you find a compatibility about yourself. Oh, no, no, no. I've had some tell me, oh, no, no, no. We've come just for the word. I said, then you're coming for the wrong reason. 
It's not just about preaching. It's about you fitting in this body. You loving them, them loving you. Now, will everybody be your best friend? No, I ain't even that. And I'm the preacher. Will everybody like you? Will you be compatible with everybody? You won't be. But overall, overall, do you find a compatibility to where, yes, I can live in this atmosphere. I can live in this church. I can bring my children. I can raise my children. I can do what's right. Not just the prayer. Oh, I love to hear Brother Darrell. I love to hear Brother Donnie. I'm moving here for that purpose. It's the wrong purpose. You're joining yourself to a body. Preaching's only part of it. Well, you got good music. We do. But that's only part of it. Man does not live by good music. You'll live by the body ministering sustenance to you and you ministering sustenance back to the body. You understand? Well, say, well, I'm here and I've been here for so and so and I ain't ain't never done nothing. Well, maybe you need to reach out a little bit more. You don't need 57,000 friends. I'd rather have two or three that's faithful than a whole troop that would turn their back on you. Fit in the body. This is what God meant for us to be. You never know when you'll need somebody that you can talk to. And I'll pray for you. Let me tell you something, friends. Those of you that want to be a preacher, you don't have a clue. You would not know the times I've sat and cried and would to God I had somebody that I could talk to that would understand me. Somebody that wouldn't belittle me. Somebody that I could tell them. Oh, my wife does. She understands. I can talk to her. But how you long for somebody that you could just sit down and talk to. You're talking about a lonely place. Men of God stand in a lonely, isolated position. Do I wish it was mine? I do not. I would to God I could come to this church and sit there or there or there or there or wherever and get behind some man of God and amen and wash his car for him and do errands for him or whatever I could do, slop his hog, feed his dogs. But for now anyway, God wanted me here. And I want to stay here until I retire or you run me out or the rapture. Because even though I say I wish I wasn't here, I wouldn't be happy doing nothing else. You wouldn't either. It's where we fit. Brother Dallas, where we fit. You think these deacon brothers don't get tired of dealing with all the things they deal with? You think Brother Jim Babb don't get tired of dealing with all that he has to deal with? How can he deal with it? God put him there. God put him there. Let's pray together. I don't want you to just pray for yourself today. But I want you to pray for the members of this body. Now, I know it's very unusual. We, as many churches, we have visible members and we have many invisible members. We have people around the world who call this their home church. They support this church. There are many more than what you see here today, believe me, many more. It's thousands and thousands. So we don't want to just pray for the visible, but for the invisible. I give them counsel. I give them phone calls. I give them texts. I give them emails, just like I do to you, because they looked in this direction for the word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I want to say today, if I have ever done anything in any way that was for show, if I've ever 
shared something that I've done or even an experience that I've had with you that I shouldn't have shared. Forgive me, Lord. Lord God, we are called in this life to serve your purpose, not ours. And if Satan can't stop us from praying, then he'll try to make us showy prayers. If he can't stop us from singing, he'll try to turn us into showy singers or showy preachers. But Father, may we not be actors in that sense. We know the word Pharisee means actor. So that people will think highly of us. But may we pray when nobody's looking. May we not, Lord God, so much put on the great speech and the great words in front of people to impress them. But when we pray, may we keep before ourselves, it's to you we're talking. Not to impress, not to get people to think well of us. Help us, Lord. Many of these people may not be honest with themselves or with others today, but there's not a person here that's gifted, whether they're a singer, a prayer, a musician, whatever they are, that they haven't fought from time to time. That's something that tries to get them to move in the realm of human satisfaction, that they would be a show-off. Your prophet tells us, and how can overcome, that the devil tempted you to be a show-off. Why did you allow yourself to feel that temptation? Because you knew every God-called preacher would feel it. Every singer would feel it to be a show-off. Every musician. Some are prayer warriors, and they're really called and gifted. You did that so every prayer warrior that would be tempted to be a show-off. So you'd be able to understand their feeling. Thank you, Lord. I pray you'd help us today, Father. I ask you that you'd go among the congregation today, the visible and the invisible. People in France, as they're hearing this, they've done, completed their service on Sunday. People in Zimbabwe, people in Norway, people in the Arctic Circle, people, Lord, over in Iceland, people in Ireland, people in England, down in Jamaica, in the islands, Lord God, may the Holy Ghost go right there as they have their heads bowed around their little laptop or their iPhone. May the Spirit of God just deal with each of our hearts today. Father, maybe we feel a slight conviction or a reminder of a certain time we did this or that. Will you forgive us right now, Lord? We're sorry. Forgive us, Father. We desire to use your gifts in your way. We know, Lord, as I said, this does not mean that you're against public prayer, but you're against the attitude that we would use. So, Father, may you help us. When that old evil thing comes around us, well, you're not needed, nobody loves you, nobody needs you, may we realize what that is. It's that spiritual autoimmune thing that's trying to attack us, that'll sever us from the body. And try to tell us, you don't need them no way. You don't need preachers. You know so much. May we realize we're delirious with a spiritual fever. We're out of our head. There ain't one of us that don't need one another. If we've got the Holy Ghost. So when we're saying we don't need church, we don't need preachers. 
we're out of our head. We've either got an autoimmune disease or we've got the Laodicean flu. Yeah, the Laodicean flu, they were cold and lukewarm and they were talking out of their head. They thought they was rich, but they was poor. They thought they were clothed, but they were naked. So the Laodicean flu is much worse than COVID. It puts people in a spiritual chaos. Lord God, may you minister to every one of us today. Keep us, Lord Jesus, would you, Father? May we always be humble. May we be able to differentiate between zeal and desire and arrogance. May we always keep it before us, Father. Zeal and arrogance can work so close, so side by side. Help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. You love him with all your heart today. Harry, can you sing that? Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus. Remember Brother Branham talking one time about somebody come to him and trying to question him on something. And he said it didn't take him long. I took the word. I'd done this or that. And he felt checked in his heart. And he said, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. The Holy Spirit done this or this. And they done something, just that little something. But he stepped over that invisible line of him saying that he done it. And it didn't please the Lord. My friends, you believe what you want to believe about the time we're in. I believe God's bringing us down to the honing stage. When I get ready to build my wife or my daughters, one of my daughters, a piece of furniture... And I may start with something that's so rough. One of the pieces you've heard me talk about standing in my living room, I saw it down in an antique place for years and watched it, but it was wanting too much for it. I kept checking it, checking it, checking it every time I go to Brother Fred's. Finally, I went down there several years ago, and the guy had taken this big piece of furniture. It was a butler's pantry, and it was about nine and a half feet tall, built-in type thing, had three different compartments. He took it to a, a vat, where they have stripper, real powerful paint stripper. And they drop it down in this vat and they let it set for hours. It was green, yellow, white, purple. So it had been built in 1895. It had seen a lot of seasons and changes. So they dropped it down in this vat and left it. And when they took it out, this thing come all to pieces. I brought it home in boxes. And this walnut wood, which was made by the German factory there out of Philadelphia, real ornate, real intricate carvings, every one of those pieces of wood was like sawmill lumber. They had splinters of that wood sticking up everywhere. It looked awful. But I bought it for $200. (laughs) I knew it was going to take a lot of time. Some of you, when you were delivered to me, you wasn't worth two cents, much less $200. Brother John, I got down in my basement and I, I started with rough sandpaper and I started going higher and higher with the grit. 80, 120, get up to 200, then go up to a little bit higher and I finally got to where I'd smoothed out every one of those intricate cuts Hundreds of them. Listen to the tape and sand. That's what helped me sand through all that, wasn't it? Listen to the tape. 
I finally finished it, stained it, then put finish. But I wanted it to be a real fancy finish, so I, I used 600 grit sandpaper. And I took water and dipped that sandpaper. Brother Fred told me about you're able to use cardboard as well, which I've done since he told me. And you're able to knock off any burrs or any dust inside of that. When I go to a furniture, when I go to a restaurant and sit down, first thing I do is rub that table. It's bad, I'll tell you, it's bad. But if you ever come to my house and rub on mine, I want you to be able to do it with not a splinter. But you get finer and finer and finer. We're no longer just when God is taking a chopping axe and chopping his people out, but it's the honed down stage. Honing down and cutting into the image of the Lord Jesus. Is that what you want for your life? Or you'd rather have a preacher just leave you alone? Just let all these old rough things be on your life. Not me. I want to be ready. Who but Jesus could look at us and love us? Don't you appreciate him so much? Can we just worship just a little bit before we go? Thank you, Lord. Morning. Listen now. I see you in the sunrise every morning. It's like a picture that you painted for me. A letter in the sky.
Jesus, use me. And oh, Lord, don't refuse me. and just reflect on yourself throughout the day. Amen. Just enjoy your day. Let's just sing this little chorus as we're dismissed this morning. Remember the service. Upcoming Wednesday night, be in prayer, be believing. Uh, falling in love with Jesus. It's the best thing I've ever done. Let's sing that this morning as you're dismissed. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus.
best thing I've ever, ever done.